Hello everyone, this is Isaac Petrie. Welcome to the podcast. Be ready to be encouraged and enlightened as we discuss spiritual solutions for everyday life. Well, hello everybody. Good afternoon. This is Isaac Petrie and I'm Irene Petrie. You gotta always be ready. You got to have a big introduction like Johnny Carson, man. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to be like, I'm Iron. You got to do something to bring the energy. Come that on. Like, that sounds like Tony the Tiger a little bit. They're great. <laughs> you know? How y'all doing this afternoon? Yeah. Pray that all is well with you. And we're going to get ready to dive right in the conversation. Got a whole lot to talk about. Now, listen. I have found out how to get your conversations on with us if there is something you would like to say or question at the end of our broadcast. We'll try to um, make sure we highlight that and then um, put yours on the screen so that you can begin to ask that question and we can address it if we don't talk too long and go over the over over the time limit. So now some of y'all are speaking. You see that like that, Gloria? We uh, say good afternoon to you yeah, too. Good afternoon. So we can get you on there. And hey, Minnie, how you doing? Doing good. So all of those that are coming on, you know, if you have a question, we will be able to highlight you and get your question answered at the end of the broadcast if Iron Petrie does not talk too long. No, well, that'll happen then because I'm not and and and, <laughs> and go over his time. And <laughs> so um, listen, I know some of you are at work and listen, I'm going to ask you to hit the share button because what we're about to say, these conversations need to be heard and they need to be had in a kingdom perspective. And so if you would just go ahead and help us get this word out because we're going to be hitting um, these three points. We're going to talk about the Breonna Taylor case. We're going to talk about um, Justice Ginsburg's passing and the vacancy on the Supreme Court. And we're going to dive in how the, these things are becoming contentious in the church. And so thank you for all of you all. Just a little more love is coming. Y'all got to give us some love before we start talking. Now, you just can't expect us to do all that love. Look at there, Jennifer. Uh, um, Adams, Jennifer, or Jennifer Adams. Um, Jennifer, I'd yeah. like to know if that's your last or first name, or is that on back? I'm sure it's probably we, Jennifer Adams. We, it's probably Jennifer Adams, yeah. but you got Adam, and there's Mo. And hey, Mo, we love Mo. There's Elder Roderick. Hey, man, how you doing? Bridget Macklin, Bridget, how you doing down there in Mississippi? Doing great things for the kingdom of God, Carolyn. So now. Look, if you don't get in quick, you don't get no love. We, If you don't give no love, we don't give nothing back. You got to give some love and get in. And there's Reese, there's Tiffany, there's Tish. Look at Tish. Hey. And the Paso. We love y'all, hey. Tish. Um, hey, Trisha. Hey, Trish. How you doing? Taryn, mover and shaker. Taryn, matter of fact, um, Taryn, I'll be in touch with you for the conference that I was talking to you about. There's Tiffany Dowden. Hey, how you doing, Tiff? And how we got a couple of people. Oh, there is my family right there. Darnish and, you know, the McElroys, we blood. <laughs> we <laughs> <can say that. laughs> Arthur is one of my best hey, friends in the world. You. 
and uh, Elizabeth. Okay, we're going to dive in here. Listen, I um, have used my social media platform, and I do want to say this um, as a context. I've used my social media platform to strictly minister edification, exhortation, the word of God to the people of God. And I have never really use my social media platform a lot for social issues or issues that are in society. And the reason is, is because I'm the type of person where everything matters to me. I mean, everything. I mean, whether it's a local situation, whether it's a regional, whether it's a national, whether it's a global. And so I don't, I don't cherry pick things. I'm like that in the church. You know, everything matters to me. Every one of my members matter, whether it's the kids or whether it's an adult. You know, um, a lot of times when people come to our church that that I've known like around the world and they have some kind of, you know, little status, they, they wonder why there's not just a whole bunch of hoopla in our church when they come, because it's because I don't see people that way. I don't see big people and little people, big names, little names. Um, I love my members more than I, I do anybody because they're the people blessed my life. They're the people I'm called to. And so I'm just that way. And so um, because of all of that, not being able to speak about everything. I just said, you know what? I'm not going to talk about anything because if I can't talk about it all, I don't want to talk about none of it. I don't want to cherry pick. And it seems like on social media, the only time we really care about things is if the media cares about it. And so we just, if the media blows it up, then we blow it up. But then things can be happening in your own city and in your, sometimes in your own community and they don't get any, any, uh, you know, um, um, uh, noising abroad or anybody saying anything, anybody standing up, anybody weeping, anybody crying out. So I just really became cynical and like, I ain't, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to get on and, and teach. Then George Floyd hit. George Floyd, excuse me, that situation hit. And then how it blew up on a national, international, a whole global level. Pastors in Africa were dealing with this. And in Europe and all types of of just chaos all over protest and people leading movements. I decided that maybe that wasn't the wisest thing to do, that I do need to talk about these things and give some kind of kingdom perspective, as well as you who are in the body of Christ, who are not caught up in the spirit of this age. You need to be able to to hit your platforms and talk about these things in a kingdom way and bring kingdom culture on the scene and diffuse what the enemy tries to do with these situations through the media, mainly in blowing up these incidences, trying to make sure that there's strife in the land. And so I decided that I would chime in on some of these events on kingdom conversation. And so this is why we started this platform so that we can try to bring some type of clarity from the word of God to these situations. So now we're not going to delve deeply into the case because that's not what we want to do. But what I do want to do is, is share some context, let Pastor Iron share some context. And then, man, we need to talk about this Supreme Court thing. 
Um, and then the contentions in the church. I'm hearing from pastors, there's warring going on in their congregations, especially those that have multicultural churches, and it's becoming a big issue and we got to stop it. We cannot allow these things to split those churches that have been functioning in unity and agreement for decades. And now all of a sudden there's contention because of the politics of all of this. So now, Pastor Irene, these are just a couple of things I want to lay out and then I want to let you go. First of all, we have to make sure that the kingdom of God is represented in these cases. Um, the Bible is very clear. Romans 13 talks about authority. And I have always said that one of the things that has to be done when it just comes to policemen is them getting a revelation that they are not just law enforcing officers, but they are kingdom citizens. That is a authority structure given by God and that you are to function as a minister, as a minister of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. He is God's minister to execute judgment. That's Romans 13. And so I've always said and proposed that every pastor, everybody who has has um, leadership in their cities need to start meeting with the police department, men and women of God, to start to get an inroads in to get them to understand the high calling that they've been called to. And, and so that's number one, when we get them to understand that you are ministers of God, that, that this is a God-ordained ministry, then if they start to see it as a ministry, they will start to see it really to serve and protect. And so serving the serving and protecting part is powerful. And so and so that's where we got to start the kingdom, getting a kingdom definition of policing. Now, we want our police officers to never, ever, ever take a life that is not justified. We, we, because a life is the one thing you can't get back. You can, you can, you can change things in court. You can change things in laws, but you can't get a life back. And so we want them to minister in such a way that at, at just the last resort, a life is taken. That's the desire. And that's what we want them to see. Now, just to fast forward to this case, Pastor Iron, one of the things that bothers me, and I believe one of the things that causes so much chaos when it comes to cases like this, is that there, it, there seems to me to always be a rush to judgment. I wasn't there. I'm in Texarkana, Texas. This is in Louisville, Kentucky. All of these incidents happen. I'm a pastor. And one of the things that I always tell my people who come to my office for counseling is that I know there are always two sides to every story. Mm -hmm. And until I get the full context of it, I cannot accurately um, speak into the situation. So I always wait until I get all the information before I form an opinion. One of the biggest issues that are happening with these cases around the earth is that people 
are not waiting for information to come out. There is this tremendous rush to judgment. People are all on Facebook. They were not there. They don't know what happened. They're only getting bits and pieces of what they heard. And they start protesting. They start riding. They start speaking out without knowledge. And that is one thing that has to stop. We have to wait because I think one of the things that people get so upset is because they're fed a narrative that they believe is true. And then when facts come out, then everybody's outraged because they feel like they've been lied to by the facts instead of being lied to by the narrative. And so the first thing we all need to do is just be quiet. <laughs> That's just my humble opinion. We need to be quiet until we get all of the facts. Now, that's difficult for most people because there is a distrust in the criminal justice system. And so people are saying, you say, wait for the facts, but we don't we don't we don't trust the system. Listen, there ain't but one system and we're going to have to work with that. Now we can work to change it. We can work to bring accountability. Once again, I think something should be done to the degree that the kingdom of God, meaning preachers, ministers need to partner with all of these departments where we get the information, where we get to come along and decide how this is disseminated. Because, man, somebody with wisdom has to be able to handle these situations before they get to the masses and all this destruction starts. And so we need to wait for all of the details, because in all of these cases, whether you agree with them or not, whether it hurts you or not, the narrative is not turning out like the like the facts or the investigation. So there's just too much confusion. And so we need to wait. And then we have got to start the message, not on just strict policing and how to reform that. We got to start reforming the issue of crime. I mean, crime is spiking like out of this world. I mean, we have got to start to preach to the point where all this drug dealing, all of this, this killing and shooting and destruction. And I mean, I mean, things like a hundred percent crime is spiking in some cities and all of that, man, we are in a crisis and our policemen are in a crisis trying to deal with all of this. And in all of these instances, there are resisting of arrests that has to be brought to the table. Why is it that we seemingly cannot comply with police officers? I mean, I was taught that just as simple, just as plain that you respect them, whatever they say. Listen, they're not always right. They're not always right. All of my my um, interactions with police officers have been good over my lifetime. Hadn't had very few. <laughs> All of them involved kind of, you know, driving a little bit too fast. But yeah, you were. <laughs> <laughs> but all of them have been good except for one time. One time an officer was just, I felt like he was just over belligerent. He was, I'm like, man, look, I didn't know I'd have pulled over if I'd have known you was behind me and blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is you got to respect it. That when a police officer pulls you over, knocks on your door, does whatever, 
That is no time to try to state your case and prove anything. You've got to comply. And we've got to we got to preach that and preach that and preach that and respect and respect and respect because we got to live and everything has to be de-escalated by both parties. And there's always this resisting of arrest. And I don't know why we want when when these situations happen, people want to fight. I just because of all of the narrative. Mm -hmm. And so we need to make sure in this case, the facts have come out by an African-American attorney general. And I listened to every word he said. And one thing we've got to understand is that he is an African-American, oversaw this case. He seemed to have done a thorough job. And just because they didn't find the cops guilty by the evidence, we can't throw out the justice system because for me, I just want what's right. Whether the cop is guilty or innocent, I want what's right. I don't have no preferences. I want what is just in each case and what is right. But what we have to do is we have to allow the investigation to take place and finish its course before we start talking and rioting and protesting and marching because we don't even know what we're talking about. So these are just some of the things, you know, that I've seen come out of this case. And it's up to the church to begin to lead the charge of being peacemakers in this, in these situations. Yeah and calming everybody down instead of getting on, inciting people and saying, I can't, now the world is going to do. I'm not worried about what the world and basketball players and entertainers and uh, they, they do what they do. But we, as the church, we're the peacemakers and we got to calm down and believe God, righteousness and justice will prevail. I don't believe it's so wicked that people would just take lives and then if the facts show that, that they would just let people off. I do. I believe in, in a vast majority of our criminal justice system, but we got to let it play out. Pastor Iron, take it. Oh, man, you, you've covered a lot of ground. And I think uh, you've covered a lot of ground really well on the whole subject matter. I, you know, at some point, people just have to ask themselves, do they think that the process that we have undertaken heretofore is going to end? in the results that we say we want, right? Is it going to end in better policing when police, innocent police are getting shot? Uh, is, is, that gonna, is it going to end in better uh, relationships between police and the citizenry when the people are losing, when innocent people are getting killed out here? I mean, people are, are dying when you have uh, police officers like in St. Louis, uh, Mr. Officer Dorn, who was, you know, he became a national news when he was shot. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's gotten to the place where our incessant desire to push a narrative or to live by assumption instead of truth and, and facts and evidence has gotten to the place where it's costing us far too much. And, and this isn't going to, it's not going to stop this way. At some point, there's going to have to be peace because you're going to need the police. Uh, right. we, we're not going to be able to live in a world with, uh, without police. Not only that, we're not going to be able to live in a world functionally with an extremely handicapped police force, because we, we do happen to live in a world in which we are heavily armed in this society. 
we are we are heavily armed and people are criminals and people do bad things it's just the truth it's the reality of the world you live in it's the reality of sin so you're going to have to have a law enforcement uh, entity that is well armed that is well supported you you can't sit there and, and and strip them of this that and the other in the name of this idea of justice because what what's going to happen is your idea of justice is going to create more injustices and a litany of injustices and that's why you look out there and you see innocent people's businesses burned to the ground they've lost livelihoods they've lost their lives innocent police officers and regular citizens have been killed there is no justice in any of this and so at the end of the day we're just going to have to do as you said we're going to have to be courageous enough to be peacemakers we're going to have to be courageous enough to have a return to reason we're going to have to be courageous enough to say listen in all of your your desire to want to see an end result every every instance right every instance of a black person being killed at the hands of a white person every instance is not Emmett Till okay right. every instance is not hearkening back to the past these things happen sometimes in split seconds if you get over into the which we won't get into but when you get over into the facts of a lot of these cases and into the body cam footage and the videos played in court and all these things there is a whole lot going on beyond the narrative that the media pushes and the media which is in my humble opinion complicit and has a lot of blood on their hands i mean a lot because they push a narrative that causes people to live in this state of anxiety you talk about people resisting arrest or, or feeling uh, a lot of anxiety and, and stress when they're when they're confronted by a police officer a lot of this comes from decades of constantly pounding home this narrative that you really cannot trust them you have to be wary of them they're they're marauding trying to hunt you down if you're black and you're male you are a target and these things they metastasize themselves to people's lives their hearts their minds and in a moment when they're confronted they act on these things they respond out of these things and this narrative is pushing our behavior and this is where as the church we have to push back on it because it's not going to end in anything peaceful or productive or progressive for anybody whether it's the cops or the citizenry or the people in these communities who really do need police when you look at the spike of, of violent crime in these cities from new york to chicago to to out in la to all these different places right when you look at the spike of violent crime because this whole this whole narrative about the police negative about the police has taken off it lets you know that the people who are suffering the most are the people that people say they're speaking on the behalf of right they're they're, they're standing up saying they're speaking on the behalf of the disenfranchised the poor the inner city the underprivileged but yet it is those same people that are suffering the most when we push these narratives because they're the ones losing their lives. They're the ones dealing with the uptick in violence. They're the ones dealing with the uptick in robberies. They're the ones dealing with all of this mayhem. So at some point, we as the church have to be brave enough and bold enough to say, no matter how strong the current of the culture is, we're gonna to have to stand up and we're gonna to have to build a wall of peace and say, look, we gotta return back to some reason. We gotta return back to some prayer. We've gotta return back to, to understanding and seeking truth. And the only way you can do that is you have to step out and you have to let the evidence take you 
where it takes you. You cannot start with assumption and hope that you can hold on to that assumption to the very end and then be disappointed. That's no way to live in your, and that's not, that's not any way anybody else would want to be treated in their life either. Right. Well, I, I saw a couple of comments. I won't throw them up on the screen because they're not questions, but I just want to respond to them because um, one person said white men and women resist police daily and they're not killed like a dog on the street. Once oh, again, yeah, I want to I want to address that because that's one of the things that need to be addressed. And and as a just a response, we don't really debate on kingdom conversations. But yeah. but I want you to respond to that because that's that's what the narrative is, is yeah. that is that white people resist arrest, but they don't end up dead or end up shot. Talk about that for just a moment, just real quick to respond to that question so that so that they can understand exactly what the the data says about all of that. Oh, well, the data, of course, you know, just in terms of population, because white people have a, are a much, much larger population in America. They're shot more often by police officers. But it's, it's not just that. I mean, bro. This is why I say the media has blood on their hands. Because there, there have been, and I forget a gentleman's name. I think his, his first name is Duncan. Uh, but there's a gentleman who was shot here just recently, a white man shot, uh, a young white man shot because of police executing a no-knock warrant at his house. And he was shot while in his bed. Very similar to what happened or, or allegedly what happened with Breonna Taylor. These things happen all the time, not sometimes. Right. I'm talking all the time. Right. But you and I will right. never hear them whispered in yeah. the media on a national level. You right. will have to search them out. You will have to find them because there is much more gravity. There's much more bite. If I can prove a racial narrative, right. if I can push that. I can move into the emotion of the public. And I can then control behavior, but it happens. It happens more often. And many times these cases will happen very close together in the same year, within months of one another, where a white is killed by police and a black is killed. And, and they, they're unarmed as well. I mean, this this happens all of the time. And, 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 uh, there, and therein lies the, 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 the situation. The situation is that it's not just African-Americans that get killed by police. No. Uh, now, because of us being a smaller percentage of the population, then the percentages might be high, but we also have higher percentages of interactions and commit more violent crimes. We just have to be honest about that. I've been in the prison system for the last 26 years of my life ministering to inmates. Um, and, and so I know exactly what I'm talking about. But the issue yeah. to me is not about getting in the weeds of all of that. Yeah, because it happens to white people, too. You're just never going to hear about it never because will. the media is not going to push that. It doesn't fit the narrative of the strife and the contention. And, you know, the enemy wants a race war. You know, they want it. You know, the media wants it. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to keep pushing it where it only looks like it's happening to black people. And that's just not true. The data proves that out. And that was proven by a study, I believe, in Georgetown University by an African-American professor. And, and Harvard so, as well. 
Right. And so that that's just not true. But now here's the bigger deal. I just wanted to respond to that, though. Here's the bigger deal. The bigger deal is not we get caught up in talking about, well, this and that and, and how many and how that. No, the deal is we as members of the body of Christ. Yes, sir. Trump it one message. Yes, sir. We need to walk before God humbly and orderly. We need to stay out of crime. We need to scatter interactions with the police. We need to preach peace. We need to preach righteousness. We need to preach to our people about, about um, honor. We need to preach about yes. all these things in the church. And that's to police officers and to people. That's this to everybody. And then when these situations happen, what I am saying is that before we even comment, we need to wait. And, and people are guilty of doing that. You were not there. You do not know what happened. <laughs> so you need to wait until all of the evidence happens before you say something that is just being responsible. That's just being responsible. Like um, people, when, when I heard this whole thing, um, I didn't follow it a whole lot because like I said, I, you know, I kind of try to stay focused on what I'm doing in the kingdom and my assignment. And uh, but I have a pastor friend in Louisville, Kentucky, one of my great friends. Matter of fact, I'll be there in October um, for his fall conference. Things like this. And when they hit the city, they come into the church and start tearing up the church and people getting getting belligerent with members of the church and people taking sides and people calling people racist and, and y'all don't care. And people saying, well, y'all don't care about all the black crime that was in Louisville before this happened. And, and you got all this contention that starts in the body of Christ. And that just shouldn't be so. We, we shouldn't, it, that should not be so. And that's the point I want to raise is that when we open our mouths, it's got to be to bring peace. It's got to bring be to bring order. It's got to be to bring reconciliation and then we can pursue righteousness and justice from a position of peace. But when we lash out and we join the freight and you allow your emotions to get the best of you and you start spewing things mm -hmm. um, that is irresponsible for us. Yes. And because of that, now you've got the threat of riots and looting whenever there's a disagreement. Whether the facts line up or not, whether somebody is acquitted or, or guilty, you've got all this chaos and we can't be a part of that. We can't be a part of that. It's kingdom people. And so I am not going to get into a whole long conversation about this or that. My whole thing is when it comes to the kingdom, this situation has come. The case has been looked at by the people in charge. This is what they've come up with. What we have to do as kingdom citizens, if we believe it was unjust, we've got another judge. And I do believe in prayer. I do believe God can fix things. I do believe nothing escapes his eye if something was done. But we have to accept it because there are still people that believe she was asleep, that, 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 you know, the cops just barged in and all of that. Well, the, the evidence says that's not what happened, but that's what people have believed for all these months. 
And so now when it comes out, it doesn't even matter. All the stuff has been burned. Everything has been been. Everybody has taken their sides. Nobody wants to see the truth. Nobody wants to look at it. And as a body of Christ, we can't do that. We just got to let the truth come out and then go by it. So that's all I'm saying, because people are losing their lives, not just in the incidences. People who were not even in it are yeah. being killed. Holy innocent people are dying, man. Innocent bystanders, billions of um, dollars worth of property damage and all of these things and, and, and just beating people and harassing people. We can't be a part of that. We can't, and we got to denounce that kind of stuff. Anything that steals, kills, and destroys, whether it's a policeman or a protester or you, is demonic because the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And all of this, the church, we've got to be able to stand outside of it and speak into it and bring the principles of the word of God to the scene. That's what I want to say about the case. The case speaks for itself. They will deal with it. They have dealt with it in Louisville. And I'm just praying for my pastor. But let's segue into that. Let me let me yeah. just segue into that. Mm -hmm. um, because now that contention, it's coming into the church. And body of Christ, we can't let it happen. Um, I've got a pastor friend, like I told you, in Louisville. I will be there in October. We've been friends for over 20 years. He has had an integrated church um, where you can't tell what his church is. He's Caucasian, um, Cherokee, actually, <laughs> Indian, deep blood Indian from Oklahoma. Pastors an amazing church there. Now, because of what has happened in Louisville, a church that has been a beacon for integration, for church worshiping together for, he's got elders that are African-American worship leaders and ministers and people who serve and all of that. That church that has been so great, so unified, so amazing. Since this situation happened in Louisville, now that church is in tension as other churches around the nation as these events have occurred. So now, Pastor Iron, mm -hmm. I want you to help speak to this issue, and I'm going to come in and cap it and say what I want to say and then move on to the Supreme Court. We, I want to say this is almost like the, the, the tail wagging the dog, meaning we allow the situations that happen on the outside to get on the inside and begin to bring strife and division in the church. Talk to us about how to deal with that. You've got African-American members in a church. You've got Caucasian members in a church. Most of this is politicized. So most people feel one way or the other from a political standpoint. And these things are coming in the churches and starting to bring a lot of disruptions. I was just at an apostolic round table with leaders all over the world. Mm -hmm. And this situation came up with this tension in the churches about things that were not so until these events happen. And now they want their pastors to speak out and become civil rights activists and things like this. And the pastors are like, wait a minute, that ain't what I do. Well, no, you got to say something. And if you don't say something, 
you're siding with one side of church and all of this, and it's taking them totally out of what God has called them to do because they feel the need to have to become a, a, a commentator to these events. Speak to it. Hmm. Well, I, I have a very simple response. Now, if you so, can't so you don't have, huh? I can't come on in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you, you're about to because I have, a very, I have a very simple response because to me, I feel as though all of these things are the symptoms of a loss of courage. Um, I don't think it's hard for people to know what the truth is. I think people I think people know what it is, but it takes courage to stand on it. It takes it takes courage to stand up for it. It takes courage to really uh, do the hard work of finding out what it is and and, and, and studying and, and, and being a, a person who knows, you know, what kind of what you're what, what you're dealing with in this world and how this world functions and operates. But at the end of the day, it comes down to courage. I think that people are just they're they're being bowled over by the narrative and they're not willing to stand up and really they're overcompensating in their platforms and in their in their churches. They're doing things that are I mean, where they they're no longer being led, which the ministry is supposed to be led of the spirit. The ministry is supposed to be something that that God is the one who is directing. Right. But now we've gotten to a point now where we're being directed by cultural narratives. We're being moved by the wind that's blowing out in the world. As, as, as Paul told, told Timothy, science so-called or knowledge or so-called knowledge, right? And so if we don't begin to become courageous about these things, I think at the end of the day, that's the whole, that's the whole gist of it. And that's why I don't have a whole lot to say about it because at some point it's, it's time to stop talking because I think we know more truth than we're willing to stand up for. We wow. just, we're, we're just not willing to stand. And that's just the bottom line of it. We I'm, are a scary people sometimes. And, and we get, we talk it, we talk good. But when it comes down to having a heterodoxical opinion about something that is somewhat contrarian to the, to the norm, to the narrative, to the push, then all of a sudden we kind of genuflect and we go back into our little shells and we kind of let everything just kind of go to pot. But no, you have to have courage. You have to be willing to stand. You have to be that person that no matter how long they've been selling doves and doing money changing in the temple. I don't care how many generations it's gone on. You got to be Jesus enough to go in there and start turning over tables. Now, I'm not saying you got, you got to necessarily do that <laughs> verbatim. But what I'm saying is the courage to be lion, not just lamb. And see, what has happened is, is they've guilted the church into being quiet. They've tried to, to, to put the, the ministry under a gag order to say, you if you're not going to say what we want you to say, don't say anything at all. But no, that's not how it, we, we don't work for anybody. We, we, we represent the kingdom of God. We represent our savior. We have all a personal stake in this. We all say we're born again and we have all accepted the sacrifice of our savior. So now what truth that he speaks should we be standing for, Right. Now, of course, we, we know that, that there's balance, there's, there's, there's research, there's study that's needed. But at the same time, what I find to be lacking more than anything is just plain old courage. People wow. are unwilling to stand up. Let, let me say something. First of all, I want to thank the people who are on this feed. I've been watching some of the conversations over here. And some of y'all are, are talking about things you believe and going back and forth. But everybody is remaining respectful. And, and I appreciate that because that's what we got to have. 
we we got to have people who honor one another. And and if there is a difference of opinion, sometimes it doesn't mean that somebody is wrong. It just means it's another perspective to it. And I say it all the time. It's not always this or that. It's this and that. And there has to be a place where we can get this and that on the table so we can have the whole perspective and context to situations. And that's what we want to do. So I want to say I appreciate y'all for for um, being honorable toward one another or we would have to delete you. <laughs> but anyway, here's what here's what I'm dealing with. Uh, and, and I tell pastors in the church. First of all, we cannot let the spirit of the world come into the church. We can't handle it the way the world is handling. The world handles it by anger, frustration, strife, division and violence. And they party up and they side off and they lash out because the world doesn't want reconciliation. They want revenge. They don't want reconciliation. The world wants retaliation, retribution. They, they want retribution. And we can't respond like that in, in kingdom citizens. And I told I told the pastors at this global roundtable, there's an easy way to fix this in your congregation. First of all, if you got Caucasian members, you cannot expect your Caucasian members to take responsibility for something that happened 400 years ago, 100 years ago, or 60 years ago. They cannot be held responsible for what their great great grandmother did or grandfather did or grandmother did or even their mother or father did. Everybody has to be treated in the context in which they have contributed to situations. And so even though you cannot hold this generation responsible for Jim Crow, you can't hold them responsible for segregation. It is not right to do so. Um, you can't hold anything and force somebody to take responsibility for something that they had nothing to do with. It is not righteous. It is not godly. It's not right. And so they don't have a responsibility for what happened before them. But what they do have is they have a they have to have a sensibility of what happened mm -hmm. and respond as a brother in Christ to say, even though we didn't do it and it happened in our previous generations, we are here to assure you that we see you as brothers and sisters. We see you equal. We see you as one. And then over on the side of those of us that have experienced it in previous generations before, we can't carry those grievances into this generation. And I know people don't want to hear it, but at some point there has to be a new starting point. The reason we can't get beyond this is because every time something happens, everybody going to go way back to win. There has to be a starting, a new starting point, and that starts with forgiveness and restoration. That yes, it happened. Yes, all of those things happen. But we are the generation of those that have been free. We're the recipients of it, and we let all of that go. Jesus said, "You have to forgive." You don't. You don't get to determine whether you want to forgive or not. You okay. don't. You don't. You don't have a choice in it. You can say everything you want to say. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be a child of God and walk in the Bible, you're going to have to forgive a whole generation of white people. You're going to have to do it. Now, what, what does that do? What does that do? It removes the bitterness. It removes the contention because forgiveness brings freedom.
and you say, now we're going to deal with these things going forward. You repent, you bring sensitivity, you bring healing, you bring the responsibility of understanding that you have to bring healing to it. You bring the forgiveness and saying, let's go forward and bring this unity together. And you start now. And then if this has not been a problem in your church up until now, don't let what's happening in the streets make it a problem. Mm. You've been in there loving and preaching and praying and worshiping together. And now all of a sudden you got to stop and act like you hadn't been having church together for all these years. Stand, do not let that in your church because nobody wants to be preached to like they're racist and nobody wants to be preached to like they've been enslaved. We need to stick with the kingdom of heaven. And like my brother said, be strong in these areas. You cannot let that narrative come into your church. Why now? Because it's a spirit of division. It's a spirit of strife. And I'm encouraging pastors. I've done it in my own church that we're not going to let that in. We're not fixing to act like now the clan up in here because because this happened and before these incidents happened we were all together we were all loving we were all caring and um and so we we can't do it church we we can't allow that and then they're leaving churches they're disgruntled with their pastor because the pastor if he speaks out about it then then now you've got Caucasian members saying, why are you talking about all that? We ain't ever dealt with all that. We got mm-hmm. we got elders. We got worship leaders. We got singers. We got prayer intercessors. We work together. Why are you talking about all this? We ain't never had a problem. And then if he doesn't speak about it, you've got African-Americans saying, how come you ain't saying nothing? How come you ain't speaking up? Or are, are, are y'all racist? Are y'all get? And it's just a bunch of mess. I'm <laughs> telling you, it's just a bunch of mess. We are kingdom people. We do not respond. We do not allow. Both sink because what is on the outside gets on the inside. And I'm trying to tell you, we cannot let that stuff and all that strife get in. Worship together, have church, love one another. That's what we're going to do in this church. And, And if your pastor hadn't been speaking out on civil rights issues and political issues, that might not be everybody's DNA. We talk about that in our church because I've been involved in the political arena, but that's not every pastor's DNA. And I want to encourage you members, your pastor has one job, preach you the word of God. If if he wants to be a senator, let him run. But But if he wants to be a politician, let him run. If he wants to be involved, let them get involved. But if that is not your pastor's DNA or assignment, let them preach you the word of God, because in preaching the word of God, you address all of this without having to even take no sides. Talk about no Democrat, no Republican, no politics, no black, no white. Preach the word. It addresses everything. Now, we are running out of time. We, we, we're going long today. No, you're preaching, man. <laughs> we, we're going long. We, we're diving into this. And of course, this is not a comprehensive um, conversation. Y'all, we, we've only been talking 50 minutes. You can't address all of these things in 50 minutes. And so we're doing, you know, bits and pieces, jumping from mountain to mountain and move on. Now, <laughs> man, look, the Supreme Court has become the topic for the election. And we've been talking about all these political things, you know, and coming up toward 2020. 
And I'm just going to say something. I'm going to put it out there. Now, this is Isaac Petrie. This is none of you. This is Isaac Petrie. I have been praying forever, forever since I was forgiven of the Lord. I'm going to have to give some of y'all my testimony one time. But the bottom line is this. I came to the Lord because of an abortion. And the, the, the conviction of it, the guilt of it as an 18 year old boy is what led me to the Lord and, and, and made me give my life to Christ. And so I've been forgiven of much. And so now, ever since then, I've been praying that abortion and the access to it and just the glorification of it would, would be rectified in this nation. Just like it got to a point. Now, I know a lot of people are going to be quiet on this issue, and, and that's fine. I understand it. I get it because a lot of people can't talk as bold about it as I can. But just like when the civil rights movement came and it got to a point where God says, I got to deal with a nation. I got to deal with a nation dealing with this. And he raised up Dr. King in that anointing to hit that principality, to awaken the consciousness of a nation to unrighteousness. I believe we're moving into that type of reckoning when it comes with abortion. Enough is enough. We've been praying for years. We have been standing for years, decreeing for years for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. I want it out. I want it gone. I made a commitment to God to pray about it, to, to, to preach about it, to teach about it because he forgave me. And so I've been praying and praying and praying for this nation to be shaken in its consciousness about this and, and, and for us to wake up and understand what are we doing? Because that's what happened with the civil rights movement. It was an awakening unto God. It was a man anointed by God that brought, that came headlong into this nation and said, the consciousness of what you are doing to a race of people is ungodly. And there had to be an awakening. I believe we have hit that point. And so now with this vacancy open on the court, there is a name that has been floated around um, that could be a possible replacement, whether they do it before the election or not. Or I don't know, but I'm just saying what's being floated. Um, there's a name being floated around. Amy Coney Barrett is her name. She is hopefully one of the people who have been who 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 will replace Justice Ginsburg. Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm telling you what I feel about it. If this woman said what I think she said in a quote, and then I actually looked it up to see if she said it, and she did, in 2006, when she said in a commencement speech at Notre Dame Law School, she exhorted the graduates of law not to make their legal careers an end and uh, not to make their legal careers an end in and of itself. 
but to make their legal um, careers a means to an end. And that is part of building up the kingdom of God. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something, bro. This is me. <laughs> this is only Isaac Peter. If indeed this woman <laughs> said that the end goal of your whole career in law is to advance the kingdom of God, I hope to God she get it. Because if we get the kingdom in, to even use those phrases, the kingdom of God just, just excited me. To just, just <laughs> use the, the phrase, the kingdom of God. Oh, my God. I was like, that's got to be the one. That's got to be the one. So listen, it doesn't matter to me what your po po political persuasions are, Democrat or Republican. If you Christian, surely you want this overturned. Surely, if you're a child of God, you want this overturned. And every believer should be believing God that we can get people on the court who feel like the end all to be all in their political or, or legal career is to advance the kingdom of God. I'm all for it. Now, that's me, Pastor Iron. So there is a showdown coming because the issue is Roe versus Wade. And I am praying, I'm hoping this is an end because I won't plan parenthood out. You're talking about racist. You're talking about racism. You're talking about the epitome of racism. That organization's founder is one of the most racist things that have ever hit this planet to exterminate the Negro. And I'm telling you, if we can get this changed, get these civil rights issues changed, man, we we set up a nation that's ready to have the kingdom of heaven hit it. And that's what I want. You're excited. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> man, the Lord forgave me. And many of you that are watching, me, the Lord, the Lord has forgiven you. And I want to be clear. There's forgiveness for people who have had abortions and made mistakes. Absolutely. There's forgiveness there. Thank God there's redemption. But I'm telling you, for me, this is this is this is a moment that I have prayed for that was coming and I'm standing, believing for it. And I believe it's here, man. And so now I don't know. She might not be his pick Saturday. He might, you know, say something else. But anybody put the kingdom of God in their mouth. I'm praying they get in. <laughs> I'm praying they get in. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's some really interesting times, man. I, I, I don't, I'm not pulling my punches here on what I have to say. I just kind of, I'm just kind of just sitting back thinking and, and praying about it all because I realize that uh, the composition of the court has an opportunity to really change. And of course, these are lifetime appointees, so we're talking about someone who will be able to shape jurisprudence in America for as long as as they're viable and alive and 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 living. Um, it's it's. It's real interesting. Uh, the, the, the young lady, the, the person in question, of course, there's another I think there's another uh, female that is being considered as well. Um, but that particular young lady in question, I've actually listened to her. I've listened to her give dissertations and talks. See, so when I, whenever I hear a name, I go listen to people, you know, and try to research and find out who people are. And um, and uh, I was very impressed by her, very impressed by what she said. 
Then one of the things that impressed me about her is this, though, and this is what I want people to understand about uh, Supreme Court justices. Because if we're not careful, sometimes we can become very partisan and even partisan when we're on the quote unquote right side. Um, that a, a Supreme Court justices, uh, their job, their, what they're to do is not to approach the Constitution uh, with, with uh, red colored glasses or blue colored glasses. They're to approach the Constitution with clear ones. And that is to say, they, they treat the, the document true to the text as it's written. And when it comes to conservative and liberal and all of these different words that we use to kind of describe people's political positions, when it comes to a Supreme Court justice, it doesn't really describe their political position as much as it describes their approach to constitutional interpretation. And um, she was someone who actually worked as a clerk for Antonin Scalia, the late uh, Justice Scalia, uh, who was a, just a, a massive personality on the court before he passed away. And, um, and she, she is kind of in that mold of being a very traditional interpreter of the Constitution. And I, that was very um, inspiring to me because there is too much activism going on from the bench. Uh, and I don't know if people realize just how dangerous that is in a, in a society where you don't know where you stand before the law because the judge on the bench may have his or her own worldview that they're going to superimpose upon the case. Right. You see what I mean? That's a dangerous and slippery slope to be living under in, in, a, in, a, in a country anywhere. Right. And, uh, and so we want justices that are true to the text. We want justices that are true to the Constitution. And she uh, she appears to be that. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm just in prayer for everything going on in this nation because we're in an unprecedented time of, of transition. But but it's turning in ways in, in some aspects, it's turning in, in certain ways to where I believe the church should to, should rejoice and the church should definitely continue in prayer because there's a lot of warfare ahead. Uh, as we see, it's already a lot of warfare going on, but uh, there's some good things coming. I want to I want to. Um... Um, address. I won't put them up on the screen because they didn't put this in a question form. Yeah. But but uh, uh, somebody said yes. The body of Christ uh, isn't there. Other issues than abortion that need to be placed in order to advance the kingdom. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, no doubt about that. Absolutely. <laughs> this is the one I'm talking about. So I'm just I'm just talking about this one issue um, um, that I believe can be overturned by the court. If she gets in and in in the in, in actually speaking to other issues, if your if your if your objective is the kingdom, you will come down on the right side of God for every issue. Yeah. No matter what it is. And that's what excites me. Those words, the kingdom of God. Now, now <laughs> I don't know her. She she could she could be just say that and 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 get in and rule like whatever. But I'm just taking her at her words in the speech that if anybody is coming to that court and says the end all to our whole legal careers to advance the kingdom of God and bring bring his rules and his orders to their. Oh, I'm all for it. I'm yeah, all can for it. I, can I, can numerous I, issues, numerous issues. But that's the one I was addressing. And can, so, I, can I can I address? Yeah, we got man. We've been on here an hour and three minutes. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
let me just address that one statement also uh, mm -hmm. from this perspective when it comes to abortion there are definitely many more things to deal with when it comes to establishing righteous rule in, in a nation no doubt about that but this but is when, well when it comes to abortion it's it's not it's not just the taking of innocent life it's the fact that we surround the question of life with justifications right we're kind of taking into our own hands when life begins and what life is right now if we can do that if we can do that if we can start at the basic fundamental level of judging when a life is and when a life isn't why do we not then have the power to rejudge anything else god has said wow you see what i mean it it's it's about who are we going to be <laughs> who do we think we are and, and how much do we think we can assert ourselves to decide on our own, apart from acknowledging God's way? And that's the issue of abortion, even on top of the taking of life. It's that we're questioning and adding definition to life as we see it, right? And that yeah. I think is a, that's a slippery slope. Well, it might not even be the person that is nominated, but I'm saying based on she's supposed to be the front runner, he might pick somebody else, whoever it is. I hope they bring that perspective. That's more of what I'm talking about, even sure. more than the woman, whoever. He might pick a man, you know, <laughs> an unconventional president. <laughs> I mean, he might, you know, he, he might come up in Ted Cruz. I mean, you, you just never know. But the bottom line is I'm talking about the perspective. If we get the kingdom perspective in policing, if we get the kingdom perspective in citizenship, if we get the kingdom perspective in politics, we get the kingdom perspective in our homes, everything else will be added. And so that's my point. I want a kingdom perspective Amen. sitting as a judge. I pray you were blessed by today's podcast. Take a moment and subscribe to it and review it and share it with someone else so that we can stay connected. Be blessed.